0: Now, this morning, I titled this sermon, and I'll give bonus points to anyone uh, who's able to give me the reference to this one. The sermon's titled, One Shepherd to Rule Them All. Lord of the Rings. Rings. Yes. (laughs) Bonus points for Debbie. (laughs) Oh, man. I had another title, and then this one came to me, and I quickly switched over to this one. One Shepherd to Rule Them All. If uh, you're just getting started in this Advent series, what we are doing over these next couple of weeks, uh, in Matthew's birth narrative, the story about the birth of Jesus, Matthew quotes from the Old Testament five different times. I decided, hey, uh, for this season, for this year, why don't we look into those Old Testament passages? What is it that Matthew is saying when he quotes these passages? What is he communicating? Last week, we talked about how these Old Testament passages that Matthew quotes from Uh, They communicate universal truths. So these are truths that we find all throughout the Bible. Truths, uh, things that were true before the birth of Jesus, which is why they're in the Old Testament. Uh, Things that are true at the time of the birth of Jesus. And then these truths that are true for us in our lives this morning. And today, I want to look at the the second one, uh, which we find in Matthew chapter 2. And this will be a sermon about the Magi, because every Advent season, you need a good sermon about the Magi. Do you not? I don't know about you, but they're my favorite characters in the Christmas story. There's so much mystery behind the Magi. And how many Magi are there? And where do you get that information from? All right, maybe from uh, We Three Kings. the the traditional Christmas song, you get it from tradition because actually in the Bible, it doesn't mention how many magi there are. Isn't that interesting? We have all these ideas that are passed on and then you you look at the story and you're like, hold on a second here. Uh, There could be five. Maybe maybe there's 52. Maybe there's two magi. We don't know. All we know is it's plural. Uh, So there's multiple magi. Matthew chapter two. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod Q Darth Vader music Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked where is the one who has been born king of the Jews Whose title is this This is King Herod's title Here come Magi from the east they go to King Herod's uh, palace and they say hey where's the one who's born king of the Jews If you're King Herod and that's your title how are you going to respond You're going to be a bit upset. Like, whoa, 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 who who are these strangers coming into my court and asking where this other child is who is basically stealing my title? The Magi uh, continue, we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. There's a disturbance in the force. And, oh, my goodness, this line, I came across this a couple years ago, and all Jerusalem with him, because that's how it works, right? You're disturbed. Uh, There's some anxiety swirling around within you, and then it begins to spread out from your being. So not only is King Herod disturbed, but now all of Jerusalem is feeling a bit uneasy as well. There's something in the air. They can just feel it. There's some tension, anxiety. There's this disturbance that everyone walking around Jerusalem as they're going in the shops, going about their business, hmm, what's what's that feeling? Now, let's talk about the Magi for a moment. We're told the Magi are from the east. The Magi, they would have come from another empire. So at the time birth of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was born in the Roman Empire. And now we have strangers coming from the east. They are coming from another empire, another major global superpower of the day, the Parthian Empire. Now, the Roman and the Parthian Empires, these were competing empires. They did not like each other. Because if you're all about global conquest, if someone else is trying to conquer the world it's like whoa who's taking my job so we have these two empires that are at odds. there's a clash this story begins here matthew 2 with a clash of two empires Uh, here's a map for you because i love maps helps us uh, understand what's going on if you notice there's the roman empire spreading all the way out there to the west we have the parthian empire over in orange we have a bit of a buffer zone between those two empires and if you'll notice uh Jesus is born in Jerusalem, close to the buffer zone there in the Roman Empire. So we see that the Magi travel all the way from the east. What does that make the Magi? Political outsiders? It also makes them religious outsiders. I mentioned the, Mag- the Magi are an extremely mysterious group of people, however many there happen to be. And you can go with three if you want because they have, they have names, right? Uh, Belshazzar, I forget the other two, but these Magi, they actually were named. But the Magi, what we do know, this is the word that was used for priests in ancient Babylon, which ended up being conquered by Persia. Magi, these were priests. These were religious men. Uh, Here's how they were described in the uh, literature of the day. Uh, Strabo, you know him, right? (laughs) Uh, He's a Greek historian and a geographer. Here's what he had to say. The Magi attend the Persian kings, guiding them in their relations with the gods. Priests, they're guiding the kings. Here's how you are to relate with the gods. Uh, Here's wisdom that is being passed down from the gods. Here's how you can please the gods. Uh, Another Greek philosopher, Xenophon, right? We all know him too. Strabo, Xenophon. Two common names here, 2022. The Magi interpret the will of the gods, the College of Magi. How would you like to apply for that one? Matea? when you're thinking about colleges coming up, College of Magi, is that one for you? Yeah, the College of the Magi, instituted by Cyrus. uh, He never failed to sing hymns to the gods at daybreak and to sacrifice daily to whatsoever deities the Magi directed. Thus the institutions established by him at that time have continued in force which with each successive king even to this day. Here's what we do know about the Magi. The Magi determined the will of the gods. They communicated that will to those in power, and then they led some form of worship for the gods. So if you are in the Persian Empire, the Magi are kind of like your pastor. So if we were in the, the Parthian Empire back in the first century— It's like, I I would be a Magi. You would refer to me as Magi Dave. They were the ones who interpreted, okay, here's what the gods desire. Here's how the gods want us to live. And now they were telling those in power, this is what the gods want us to do. This is how to lead the empire. Uh, They were responsible for discerning where the gods were at work in the world. The Magi spent time praying, studying the stars. Uh, Some people speculate they might have been astronomers, and yet here we are, the beginning of Matthew's birth story of Jesus, and we have these religious outsiders, not the Jewish priests, but these religious outsiders who Matthew has searching for the Messiah, searching for Jesus. This is an odd story, is it not? Matthew writing to a Jewish audience, you think he'd be trying to bolster the position of the Jewish, Jewish priests. And yet, it's the Magi who are the ones seeking the Messiah. Now, uh, let's talk about King Herod. Uh, He's the king of Judea, which would have been uh, where Jerusalem is. And he was appointed king by the Roman Empire. King Herod was strongly disliked by the people that he ruled over. The Jewish people that he was king of, they did not like him. Uh, He took them off. He tried to do things that would make them happy, but... uh, in all honesty, they really did not like this guy. Uh, we mentioned that his title was King of the Jews. So here come the magi, these political outsiders, coming to the court of King Herod, the one in power. Where's the King of the Jews? Where's the one who truly has your name and your title? We're told he's threatened. What does he do? He consults the Jewish priests, the ones who are responsible for discerning how God was at work in the world. And they searched the scriptures. And King Herod says, well, what are the Magi talking about? Well, what, this Messiah, this, this other king of the Jews, Like, what in the world could they possibly be talking about? The story continues. He called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Messiah, messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And now we come to our Old Testament passage for the day. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod then called the Magi and he said, hey, go look for him. And once you find him, please let me know where he is because I want to go worship him. But we all know, is that really what he wants to do? No. No. Because this Messiah threatens everything that King Herod has created for himself. Now, uh, this Old Testament passage actually comes from two places uh, within the Old Testament. First, Micah chapter 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me... One who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Micah was a prophet. Micah would have been prophesying about the fall of Jerusalem and then the subsequent exile. When those in Jerusalem were taken forcibly out of their homeland and forced to relocate. Micah is telling the people, he's saying, there will come a time when Jerusalem, the city that you're living in, it's going to fall. It is going to be conquered. And you are going to be removed from the land that you were living in. In other words, he's saying, there's going to come a time when it's all going to collapse in front of you. Everything that you held on to, all the certainty that you have in your life, it's going to be pulled out from under you. But... It's not where he ends the story. He continues the story and he says, but there is a promise of hope for the future because even though everything is going to be taken away from you, it will all eventually be restored. All that's been lost, all that's been taken from your life, God will promise to bring it all back together. He mentions a ruler from Bethlehem who will do this. Uh, This refers to the King David. King David was seen as the height of Israelite history. You know that song Glory Days by Bruce Springsteen? That's the soundtrack that would have been playing whenever anyone thought about King David. Because when David was king, that was the height of the Jewish kingdom. And everyone was longing for a return to those glory days when God would come and restore the kingdom to his people. Because for a really, really long time, it has just been one empire after the next who came and conquered and ruled over Israel. And so if you have a, an empire that comes in And conquers you and forces you to now adhere to their standards and their way of life. Well, you're longing for a return when King David or a king like David was back on the throne and could now lead Israel into a period of peace and justice and wholeness. A time when you were free and no longer being conquered by another empire. So we have this prophecy That's floating around in the back of Matthew's mind. A time, a hope for a future time when all will be restored. Uh, And then he also quotes 2 Samuel chapter 5 again. Another Old Testament verse about David. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. They said, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people, Israel. Shepherd being the one uh, who leads. You will lead my people. So when Matthew quotes from these two passages in the Old Testament here, in the middle of this story about Magi and King Herod and searching for the Messiah, what he is doing is he is revealing an ancient longing for a ruler or a shepherd like David, who God has been promising from the beginning. All throughout the story, there has been this promise. Yes, it might seem dark right now. Yes, all hope might be lost, but don't give up. Hold on, because a time is coming when there will be a ruler, there will be a true king who will restore all that has been lost. All the fracturing that you see within the world, that you experience in your own life, it will be healed. This is an ancient longing. This is a universal longing. This was a hope that people held before Jesus was born. A hope that people held at the time of Jesus. And I believe this is a hope that we all long for in our lives as well. Do you ever feel an ache, call it a longing, within yourself because things aren't as they should be? You ever turn the news on? And it's story after story showing how this world that we live in, it feels like something is off, something is broken. Things aren't as they should be. The wholeness that we're painted a picture of in the beginning of the Bible, when everything is in its rightful place. In some ways, it's been broken. you ever feel that within your own life as well? You look inside, you get a bit introspective for a while, you look at your life and you think, man, I've been working on that for For years. I've been trying to address this and bring some healing to this part of my life, but it just seems like I'm not making any progress, like I'm on a treadmill. I'm just not getting anywhere. You ever have this ache within yourself? I just wish that what I've lost in life or the brokenness that I'm experiencing, I, I just wish that it could be healed, that it could be brought back together. Uh, There's a great book. It's called Eve. It's by the same author of The Shack, William Paul Young. And it's a riff on the creation story and the Garden of Eden. Profound book on so many different levels. There's this one part in the book. There's two characters. We have Eve, and then we have another character, Lily. Lily and Eve are having a conversation. And Eve is telling Lily all about the wholeness that is present in the garden. And Lily can't fathom it because Lily has grown up in a world that is broken. Her life has been just a series of disappointments, different harms that were inflicted upon her. And so when she's hearing Eve talk about a place of shalom, of completeness, of healing, of rightful relationship between each people uh, and between humans and God, Lily, she, she just can't fathom it. She has this conversation and she asks, she says, is, is that even possible? The wholeness that you're talking about, is that even possible? And, and she felt embarrassed by her impulsiveness. I mean, is there such a thing? So Eve, sque- Eve squeezed Lily's hand. She said, yes don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed for wondering. Because sometimes it feels that way, right? Things seem so overwhelming. The hope that we carry with us for things to change, for things to be better, sometimes feels like that hope is squashed. But Eve says, you know what? I, I know what you've been through in life. I know what you've experienced. I know how difficult life has been for you. So I understand if you find wholeness and completeness something that's impossible to fathom. And she says, Lily, our deep longings remind us that we have lost something vital and precious. The ache you feel within you, that longing you have within you for things to change, for God to come and restore what's been broken or lost in your life, It's a sign that, yes, something has been taken from you. Something has been lost. And it's not the way in which God intended for things to be. And she continues, she says, Such yearnings are the stirring of hope. Hope is birthed in the ache it's birthed in the longing. Hope says, it's dark right now, but I am going to trust that things will change. This prophecy that Matthew is quoting, I am going to trust. What were the Magi trusting? They were trusting that this Messiah, this Jesus, and again, we have religious outsiders here, but yet, They were willing to travel into enemy territory because they were willing to trust that maybe all their longings, all their aches, were pointing towards this child. That this child could be the fulfillment of all that they had been longing for. The question for us this week Said, so I wanted to get really practical. How do we understand and discover these truths in our lives today? So here's the question How do we find the hope that our longings are pointing us towards? The answer is found in the response that the Magi have versus the response that the chief priests in Herod have towards Jesus. Because who was it that found their way to the manger? It's the Magi. It's the Magi. The chief priests, they missed the signs. And Herod was threatened by the birth of this child. Matthew is offering us two ways to miss the hope of Christ's rule. And then two ways to find it. First, how do you miss it? You can find how God reveals himself. Chief priests, these were the ones who were supposed to know where the Jewish Messiah was. They missed the signs. They could quote their scripture. (laughs) They could look back in the Old Testament. They could quote it. They knew it by heart. They had it all memorized. They knew their Bible well. Whenever anyone came to them with a problem, they could quote verse after verse. They could quote scripture after scripture, but yet they still missed the presence of God coming into this world. This is a scathing criticism directed at the Jewish religious leaders. How do we miss the hope of Christ's rule in this world? We can find how... God works. Let's talk about yoga for a minute, because that's clearly where you all thought this was going. A couple years back, a friend of ours told us a story. She had stopped going to church for a long time because she was disappointed with God. She had been through some things in life that were extremely painful, and it caused her to question everything she believed about God and church and Jesus. She went to a yoga class in the midst of this time of questioning. I don't know if it was hot yoga or regular yoga. If it's hot yoga, maybe it explains things. If it was regular yoga, it's a mystery. She said she walked out of that yoga class. And as soon as she walked out of that door at the end of the session, she started tearing up. She just started bawling for no reason. And she told us, she said, in that moment when I walked out of that yoga class, it it was as if I felt the forgiveness of God in a way in which I never had before. And she said, I never felt that way in church. But here I was in a yoga class And I was experiencing the presence of God in a way in which I've never experienced it before. See, Sometimes we think God can only work in certain ways. God can work here on a Sunday morning in church. God can work when we have our worship music on. God works only when we're praying and we're being a good, dutiful Christian. And we're reading the Bible. But the truth is, God is always at work in the world. I love the idea that all the ground that we are standing on is holy ground. Uh, As the psalmist says, all the earth is the Lord's. We have to walk through life with our eyes open to the Spirit, trusting that in every moment, God is revealing himself. The Spirit is at work bringing healing forgiveness hope into your life how do we miss the hope of Christ so we have blinders on and think God can only work when we're reading scripture or in different ways that we've established as being okay but yet here we have a story of these religious outsiders they're the out group they're not the in group and yet they're way more in tune to the work of the spirit than the priests who are part of the in group uh, and then we have The Power of Vulnerability. This is a TED Talk. Any idea whose TED Talk this is? Brene Brown. Uh, her talk, The Power of Vulnerability, one of the top five TED Talks of all time. Talking about what it's like to be vulnerable with each other, to be honest, open, authentic, to share our experiences of shame with others, to let others in to the things that we normally try to push down and hide and bury. Any idea how many times this TED Talk has been viewed? 10 million? A million times? What else? Uh, what's, the, what's the game show? Do you go up a dollar or is that the prices, right? <laughs> so are we going to go up a dollar or are we going to go down to nine ninety nine? dollars How about this? About 60 million times. Should have gone up a dollar. (laughs) About 60 million times. Does this not tap into something that's true for all of us? There's something about her talk that's resonating because there's something that's true about what she's saying. It's not a church service. She doesn't quote any scripture, but yet there's something about the human journey that 60 million people all right, I get it. If you watch it three times, then you're counted three views. I call it 50 million people have watched this video because there's, they're finding truth and healing in what she's saying. So if we miss the hope of Christ because we can find how God can reveal himself, how do we discover the hope? we be open to the work of the Spirit anywhere. Even outside of your ideas about who God is and how God can work, it's all holy ground. Every step you take, the church isn't any holier. And I know we're in a movie theater. It's funny, I have someone who, uh, when we were, we had to go look for a different building, and he was really concerned that we had not been meeting in a church building. And then he heard that we were thinking about meeting in a movie theater, and he's like, I I just, I I don't know. I'm not sure. I I think you guys really need to be in a church building. I think it's going to be better for everyone in the church. It's the view that just the church, the service is holy ground, but in actuality, it's all holy ground. The Spirit is revealing every single moment. Are we moving slow enough? Are our eyes open? Are we open? to the work of God, even if it's outside how we think God should work. And here's a second way to miss the hope of Christ's rule, uh, to fail to see our need for grace. Think about King Herod. His personal salvation project was threatened by another Savior. He had built the empire that he had. And now when someone else came in who could possibly take over or be seen seen as a rival, well, now he was threatened by it. It was all about him, what he could do, what he could accomplish. When we fail to see our need for grace, we fail to be humble. When it's all about us and our work and what we can do and how we can prove ourselves and we can work our way to God and earn our own salvation through what we can accomplish, we miss out on the hope of Christ's rule. So how do we actually see it? We admit our need for grace. It's a simple prayer, a one-word prayer. I need help. Oh, that's three words. Help. Let's cut it down. Help. That's where it starts. Humility. Realizing that on our own. Yeah, I need need, need some help on my own. I just, I, I can't, I can't do it. King Herod had made it all about himself, and he missed the hope of Christ because of it. Well, when Jesus was teaching his disciples, he was being asked once by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God is going to come? When is God going to reveal himself in all God's power? You're the Messiah, but then why haven't things changed yet? And Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. You can see it because the kingdom of God is in your midst or the kingdom of God is within you. Here's the truth this Christmas. Your life can be led by a shepherd of peace and justice. Jesus answered, the kingdom of God, it's within you. You carry it around with you everywhere you go. You can choose to allow your life to be led by a ruler or shepherd like the idealized King David, a shepherd who brings justice who calms the anxiety, brings peace, ushers hope. And as you carry it around with you, the truth is is that rule can then spread from you to the world around you. Jesus is saying it, it starts with you, with your eyes being open. And choosing who or what you will allow to rule your life. We're all being led by different things. Are we aware of what's leading us? Are we aware of who's leading us? This is the invitation this week, this season of Advent. Be aware of who is leading our lives and what that ruler is producing within us. The kingdom of God is within you. The Spirit's always at work. Will we step forward with that realization?